Well, grab a Bible and turn to Luke's Gospel. It's the third Gospel in the New Testament, Luke chapter 7. If you do not have a Bible, there should be a red, maroon, pew Bible in front of you. You can grab it and turn to page 863, and that will land you in the right section for Luke chapter 7. Uh, We're going to read verses 18 through 35 this morning. Uh, So we're plotting our way, hopefully it's not trudging our way through uh, Luke's Gospel. Uh, So we tend to preach through books of the Bible, so it's not me picking out my pet peeve passage or pet peeve topic to preach on each week, but rather as it is our tradition in the Reformed Presbyterian tradition to simply preach through books of the Bible, that God's Spirit would deal with us as He sees fit. So this morning we're in Luke chapter 7, verses 18 through 35. Hear God's Word this morning. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. Remember, Jesus had just healed a centurion's servant. He had just resurrected a widow's son from the dead. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the, man, and when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Good disciples, right? They repeated them word for word. Verse 21, In that hour he healed many people in diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And Jesus answered them. He answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I will send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And when all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John, but... The Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, will your Holy Spirit come this morning, we pray. Fill this house of worship and fill our hearts today. Open eyes to see you. Open ears to hear you. And may your spirit be at work this morning reconciling us to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There was a young family that lived in London that was looking for something different to do on a Friday evening. They didn't want to go to the park and play. They didn't just want to go out and simply buy something to eat. So they decided that they would go to a famous art gallery there in London. And so they wanted to 
prime the pump and prepare their son, who was a little bit on the hyper side, as he was going to be in a very upscale uh, art gallery that would be filled to the brim with expensive paintings. And this young man was in the course of his life, in the part of his life where he, he not only liked to see, but he liked to touch. Yeah. My wife's still like that in the, we go out and see expensive things, like, please look, don't touch. But anyway, I guess some of us, we never outgrow it. Um, Well, they made their way to the London Art Gallery, and they reiterated to their son, don't touch these paintings because they're expensive. Just simply look at them, admire them, enjoy their beauty, and we will talk about the paintings. Well, they made their way to one particular painting, which was Titian's painting, the famous world-famous painting about Bethlehem on the night when Jesus was born. And they could tell their son wanted to touch the painting that was expensive, and so they, they just graciously and, and gently pushed his hand down. And he, he looked at the painting, they said, just, just admire it, just ask questions about it. And so he looked at his daddy and he said, Daddy, why is that baby sleeping on the hay? And his dad explained, he said, well, son... This is a painting of baby Jesus. And you see, Joseph and Mary were extremely poor. And so that's why they had, they had to stay there in, in the stable. And there was no room for them in the inn. And so that's why they had to stay there. Their son looked up at them all confused. And he said, but daddy, if Joseph and Mary were so poor, then how could they afford this expensive painting to be done for them? Good question, right? Out of the mouths of babes, we ask these questions as we look at paintings that are done simply by a painter's imagination about what that holy night must have looked like that night. There are a lot of people that have good questions about Jesus and the Christian faith today. Maybe you are one of them that has one of those questions or Maybe you're going through a season where you're beginning to ask questions about the Christian faith. There are many that sit here on a Sunday morning that really question and wonder, is the Bible reliable? Or if you don't question that, you have friends or family members that do. There are some that ask the question, if the Christian faith is the only true faith, then how could we possibly know that? And more importantly, they ask the question, how can we know that Jesus is who he says that he is? Those are good questions. Those are good questions that are okay to ask. Those are good questions to ask and good questions to seek to have answered. My prayer is that Barto ARP Church will be the type of church where it's okay to ask those questions. Now, I don't want us to be a place where we just wallow in doubt or wallow in skepticism or enjoy it. But I want it to be a place where Our teenagers, when they have questions about the faith and that they don't want it to just be something that they believe because mom and dad believe it, but they want it to be their own faith. I want this to be a safe place where they can ask those questions. As we have people that are new to the church or new to our church family have questions about how things relate together, I want us to be a church where it's okay for people to ask the questions. And even more so, we want to be a place where they can find the answers to those questions. What are some questions that you have today?
One of the things I think is beautiful about the, the Bible is how transparent it is. Notice in verses 18 through 20 that the Bible is extremely transparent about the fact that John the Baptist himself had a question. He had a question that related to Jesus. Look at what it says. It says, The disciples of John reported all these things to him, all the healings that Jesus had been performing, the fact that Jesus had resurrected a widow's son from the dead, and John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? What's happening here? It's very simple. John the Baptist had some expectations of what he thought would happen when the Messiah came. If you hold your place in Luke chapter 7, if you've turned back to Luke chapter 3 and read verses 7 and 9, you'll be reminded of the the message that John the Baptist preached. He says in verse 7 of chapter 3, He said therefore to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. And so John the Baptist believed that when the Messiah showed up, there would be judgment day and people would have to pay. Look at what he says though, also in verse 9. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And so what did John the Baptist expect when the Messiah arrived? He expected the day of the Lord to arrive, which would have been the language of the Old Testament. That as they looked down the horizon of history, when they saw the day of the Lord coming in the horizon of history, they expected God to simultaneously rescue his people and judge the wicked. And yet that's not what John the Baptist sees. John the Baptist is chained in the dungeon of Herod's palace. John has prophesied that Jesus is the one to come. And now he's beginning to have doubts because he's hearing the good news about how all of these miracles are being performed by Jesus that would thus testify and attest to the fact that he is the Messiah, he's the one to come. But there's a problem. In John's mind, John's in the dungeon. He sees miracles. He hears about miracles. But he doesn't see the Roman government being overthrown. And he's wondering to himself, if Jesus can heal the sick and resurrect the dead, why am I still in chains here in Herod's palace? Good question. And Jesus has an answer. You know, many of us would get frustrated with Jesus because he doesn't live up to our expectations. Many of us have been offered a false gospel, which is really no gospel at all. That is the prosperity gospel. In our culture today, there's a false gospel being offered that Jesus comes to make you healthy, wealthy, and happy. Well, there's one major problem with that. That doesn't fit Jesus' life either. He wasn't wealthy. He may have been healthy. He was happy, but he was executed himself. And that certainly wouldn't bring hope to our brothers and sisters in Christ in Afghanistan this morning either, would it? So as we bring our questions to Jesus today, 
I want us to see in this passage two responsibilities we have in relationship to Jesus. As we bring our questions to Jesus and Jesus seeks to answer our questions, there are two responsibilities we have in relationship and response to Jesus. The first responsibility we have is this, to accept who Jesus is, to accept who Jesus is based on the evidence. Based on the evidence. I want you to hear how Jesus responds to John the Baptist's question in verses 21 through 23. Luke says in verse 21, In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And so notice that Luke, being the great historian that he is, says there are some simple evidences for why you should rest assured that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the Messiah. As J.C. Ryle says, he simply supplies the facts. And what we see is that Jesus responds to John the Baptist in verse 22, and he answered him, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard, that the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. If this was a court scene, it's as if Jesus is saying, take exhibit A, B, C, D, E, and F back to John the Baptist as he's in the dungeon at Herod's palace. Take him back exhibit A, that I am the one who is to come. Why? Because the blind receive their sight. A fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. The lame walk, a fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. The lepers are cleansed, a fulfillment of prophecy. The deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. In other words, take back to him exhibit A, B, C, D, E, and F. That these are miracles, not just for show, but for affirmation about who I am and why I'm here. That's what all the miracles of Christ are about, is affirming the identity and the mission, the purpose of Jesus. So in other words, the Messiah came to restore everything that was lost in the garden when Adam fell and rebelled against God. Here are these prophecies from Isaiah. Isaiah 35 says that when the Messiah comes, the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, and then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Isaiah 26 says, your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. And then Isaiah chapter 61, something interesting happens here. Jesus only quotes part of Isaiah chapter 61, which is good news and bad news for John. He says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me in Isaiah 61 because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And he sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. But he leaves off the part that says to proclaim liberty to the captives and opening of the prison to those who are bound. Many scholars believe that this was Jesus' way of telling John the Baptist, I am the Messiah, but you're not going to be freed from prison. And so Jesus says in verse 23, Blessed is one who's not offended by me. In other words, accept who Jesus is even if he doesn't meet 
your expectations of him. Have you accepted who Jesus is? Recently, we received a, a pastor into our presbytery by the name of Reverend uh, Dr. Tom Hawks. He's going to be planting a church for us uh, near Fernandana Beach uh, in, in Florida. He's from there originally. And when we receive a pastors into our presbytery, the first two things we ask them to do is to give them, uh, share with us their testimony of how they came to faith in Christ and to share their call to ministry. Um, I'm hoping to have Tom come and preach for us here sometime this year, but if he comes and shares this testimony with you, act like I haven't told you, okay? But I was moved by Tom's testimony. Tom said that he was basically a beach brat. He grew up on the beach over there in Jacksonville, Florida, and in high school, his older sister was killed in a car accident, and he said his 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 life was rocked for his sister, who was just kind of the star athlete and kind of the star person in their high school, to, have, to be alive one moment and be gone the next. And he said he was so troubled by the loss of his sister that he went on this long search, searching what could be the meaning of life and what would be purpose and why he was here. And he said he concluded very quickly that the Christian faith couldn't be true. And so he began searching all the different world religions. He began searching Buddhism. He began studying the Islamic faith. And he began studying Hinduism and other religions. And he was going to a Christian school and the minister, the priest there, looked at him and said, Tom, you know, the Christian faith still is one of the world's major religions. And if you're going to search all the world's religions, you need to at least give the Christian faith a listening, a hearing. And so Tom began reading John's gospel. And he said as he read John's gospel, he said he was struck by the fact that Jesus made claims about himself that Buddha would never make about himself. He said that he was struck by the fact that Jesus made claims about himself that Muhammad would never make of himself. And he said he wrestled with the idea of how could Jesus be God and yet man, how, divine yet human. And so he said one Saturday, one Friday night into one Saturday morning he was praying, God, if, if, if this is real, if the Christian faith is real, I don't understand how Jesus can be God. He said he woke up throughout the night and he would just utter that simple prayer about, how, God, I don't know how Jesus can be God. If this is true, show me. He said about 9 o'clock in the morning, his brother came and knocked on his door and said, Hey, the surf is up. Let's hit the waves. And he said, so as a, as a young high school boy, he grabbed his surfboard and began making his way down to the beach. And he said as he made his way to the beach, it was as if suddenly someone had turned the lights on in his life. And he said, Jesus is God. Praise the Lord. Jesus is God. And so Tom said as he and his brother began to make their way into the ocean, he looked at his brother and he said, hey, bro, Jesus is God. And he said, his brother looked at him like, yeah, you're losing your mind. But he said, no, you don't understand. Jesus is God. What happened? The Holy Spirit had moved in the heart of Tom to accept who Jesus is. Why? Based on the evidence. Based on the evidence. 
Jesus calls us to have a childlike faith, but he calls us to have a reasonable faith. And we're called to have a reasonable faith of trusting in Christ as our Savior. Why? Based on the evidence. Jesus gave John the Baptist, in his moment of questioning and uncertainty, evidence to feed and fuel and sustain his faith. And what he gave him was jigsaw piece of evidence of prophecy and fulfillment in Christ. Do you have questions? The Bible has answers. Don't forget the reason why Luke writes his gospel. Luke chapter 1 verse 4 says this. That you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. It's okay to have questions because Jesus is the answer and the Bible has answers to your questions. You need to remember that in your own walk with Christ. And you need to remember that as your friends, your children, your grandchildren, your neighbors and your co-workers have questions about who Jesus is. It's not bad to ask the questions. Converse with the questions because God has the answers in his word. That's the first responsibility we have in relationship to Jesus. That's the first responsibility we have in response to who Jesus is, is to accept who Jesus is based on the evidence. And then we have the responsibility to point others to Jesus. Look at that in verses 24 through 28. I want you to see what happens here as John's disciples now take the message that the answer that Jesus has given them back to John the Baptist. You get a sense here that Jesus is doing a little bit of damage control. Because the people standing there are beginning to think, has John lost the faith? So Jesus does a little bit of damage control and he, he affirms the ministry, the life, and the work of John the Baptist in verses 24 through 28. Look at what he says. Verse 24, when John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. In other words, Jesus begins talking to the other people that had remained there that did not go back with John the Baptist's disciples. And he asked them some questions that the, the answers are obvious. He says, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? In other words, when John the Baptist was out in the wilderness and he was dressed all crazy and he was eating locusts and honey and had this weird clothing. What did you go out there to see? Did you go out there to see a reed shaken by the wind? In other words, did you go out to see somebody who's unstable, who's fickle? No. You went out to see a guy who was a prophet, who preached angry. Judgment is coming, you brood of vipers. It's always fun to preach angry, by the way, but a little jealous of him. But then verse 25, it says, what then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? No, he wasn't dressed in what a king would wear. Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. In other words, you didn't go out to see somebody who's kowtowing to the authorities. Remember how John the Baptist ended up in prison in the dungeon? He spoke out against King Herod because King Herod was involved in adulterous marriage. King Herod had, mar- had divorced his wife, married his own niece that used to be married to his brother. Now that's a, 
I, 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 uh, that's a confusing situation. And so John the Baptist spoke out against that adulterous, incestuous relationship. And suddenly John the Baptist ends up in the dungeon where he's sending his disciples to go ask Jesus. So in other words, what Jesus is saying is John the Baptist ain't no fickle pickle. Right? He's not some wishy-washy, kowtowing kind of guy. No, he's firm. He's solid. And then he goes on to say, verse 26, What then did you go out to see? A prophet? He says, oh yeah, I tell you, more than a prophet. More than a prophet. Why? Because he says in verse 27, he quoting Malachi 3.1, This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. In other words, he says, hey look, John the Baptist came as a very special person in the course of redemptive history. He came as a fulfillment of prophecy in the spirit of Elijah coming to prepare the hearts of men and women to receive the Messiah. And so what, John, what Jesus is saying about John the Baptist is that this guy was no fickle prophet. No, this guy was an answer to prophecy, a fulfillment of prophecy, and a fulfilling the prophecy of preparing people's hearts to receive me. And how did he prepare their hearts? With faith and repentance. But notice what he says in verse 28, which is very important for me and you today. But Jesus says this, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. What's Jesus saying there? Jesus is not diminishing how great John the Baptist is. Jesus says, of those born of men and women, none is greater than John. But he says this, you live, you're going to live in a special time in redemptive history because essentially John the Baptist is going to be beheaded before he sees the fulfillment of what I've come to do, which is that I've come Not to condemn and destroy and judge right now, but to offer myself in their place as a substitutionary sacrifice for their sins. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that you and I live in a very special place in redemptive history. And no matter how small or weak or feeble we are today, we live in a special time of redemptive history because we understand things that John the Baptist didn't understand when he walked and lived and breathed and preached on the face of the earth. And what's the difference? We live on this side of the bloody cross in the empty tomb. That makes you special. Because you have a perspective on God's redemptive work throughout history that the prophets before us could only begin to vaguely see and vaguely comprehend. And so what Jesus says to me and you is this. John the Baptist was a great prophet because he pointed others to Jesus. And that's precisely what Jesus calls me and you to do today. To point others to Jesus. True story. There was a riverboat captain that ran a ship on the Mississippi River. And one day he was taking his boat down the river when he noticed another boat come in the opposite direction. Some people were being given a a free tour of the boat, and the captain grabbed one of the passengers and said, do you see that captain over there on the other ship? The passenger was a little bit stunned because he didn't know if the, the captain of this ship was losing his mind. 
And the passenger said, "Uh uh-huh. The captain said, let me tell you about that captain on that other ship. One night, my boat collided with another ship. And our ship was going down. It was sinking. And over a course of events, I was thrown overboard for my ship. And I was afraid of drowning in the, the dark, cold waters. Do you know what the captain of that ship did? He maneuvered his boat, anchored down, jumped into the water, and rescued me. And the captain of that boat looked at the passenger and he said, Ever since that day, whenever I see that captain, I like to point out to others the man who rescued me. Friends, do you enjoy pointing out to others the one who's rescued you? His name is Jesus. As the old hymn says, I was sinking deep in sin, far from the blissful shore. And it was God's love that lifted me. What's your response to Jesus? Do you accept him for who he is? Do you see the fact that regardless of what occupation you hold, regardless of what season of life that you find yourself retired, working, sick, healthy, happy, wealthy, or poor, you have a responsibility to point out to others the one who's rescued you. What about your children, your grandchildren? Are you pointing them to Jesus? What about a fellow church member that you sense is drifting? Are you pointing them to Jesus? J.C. Ross says this, We should spare no pains to make everyone who in any way looks to us acquainted with Christ. Happy are those ministers and parents whose consciences can testify in their deathbeds that they have told their hearers and children to go to Jesus and follow Him. Maybe this morning you feel like you're not qualified or equipped to answer people's questions about the Christian faith. Maybe you feel intimidated to even try to answer your children or grandchildren's questions about the Christian faith. Well, let me encourage you with a couple of opportunities we have for you here at Bartow ARP Church. The first opportunity we have is Sunday school next Sunday. We want you to deepen your knowledge and love and commitment to Christ. And we want to equip you to be able to give to others the reason for the hope that you have. And soon and very soon, we're going to offer a training session in John's Gospel called Express Your Faith, where you can come and learn a tool that will help you share with others the reason for the hope that you have. Why? Because we all have a responsibility to accept Jesus for who he is and to point others to him. But this morning, if you're not walking with Jesus, I want you to understand the options you have before you. We see it in verses 29 and 30. 
It says here that when all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purposes of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. See, here's the problem with religious people. Most religious people think that they're good on their own and they don't need Jesus. And the irony of this passage and this passage right here is that the people that we consider to be the least, like, least likely followers of Jesus are the ones who readily re- accept John the Baptist's preaching. Why? Because they, they repent and they believe. They turn from themselves, they turn to Christ, and they trust in him. So this morning, I want to encourage you that if you've never come to faith in Christ, if the Holy Spirit has pricked your heart this morning, that today would be the day that you admit to God that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, that you're hopelessly lost without Him, and that you would admit to Him that you need Him to forgive you of your sins. And if you're a Christian who's begun to doubt or begun to drift, I would encourage you to spend some time this morning repenting as well. Saying, Lord, please forgive me that in my moment of need, I leaned away from you when I should have leaned into you. Let's pray. Sovereign, gracious God, You're worthy of worship. You're worthy of trust and obedience. Father, I confess to you that by nature I'm a skeptic. I can have doubts. I can have seasons of drifting. I ask that you would please forgive me. Forgive me for moments of sickness, sorrow, uncertainty. I can have a sinful tendency to think I can handle it all myself and to lean away from you rather than leaning into you. I pray, Lord, that For those of us today who know you and love you and serve you, that our faith has been encouraged, that we see that our Savior was not just some man who rolled up onto the scene of the first century and began making claims about himself, but rather there is this beautiful tapestry that consists of jigsaw pieces of prophecy and fulfillment that are fulfilled in Christ and the life, the situations And the circumstances surrounding him, many of which were out of his control. Where he would be born. To whom he would be born. How he would die. Lord, I pray for those that maybe don't know you yet. Your Holy Spirit would prick their hearts today. That they would admit that they're a sinner. That they believe in Jesus. And they receive the forgiveness of sins you offer them. The reality is, God, we need you every hour. And coming to faith and walking with you and closing our eyes in death 
in faith that we will hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. It's in Jesus' name we pray.